Running ain't freedom. Welcome in to the Bro Four Squad podcast, where we are just a bunch of bros drinking beer and talking movies. This is episode 207, and I'm your host, the Mayor Jeff Hordasek. Before we get started with the movie discussion, thank you so much for joining us. Let us go around and meet the fellow bro with me tonight. It is the mad scientist Brian Banner podcasting live from the lab. So, Banner, in your scientific estimation, excuse me, how many years away are we from being able to send robots to work for us while we stay home and get drunk all day? I don't know, probably like six and a quarter. Okay. That's actually longer than I would guessed. I guess it depends what your job is. How difficult is your job? That's true. That's true. Our like, jobs? I teach probably like three. Yeah. I would need a, several androids to go to my work. Not that I do the work of many people, but I just think it would function better if there was like three robots supervising the kids. Yeah, you, you're just so bad at it that there needs yes. three to correct the direction of your leading the young leaders of tomorrow. It's cool, too. We can have like one robot be like good robot, another robot be the bad robot. You know, like Ooh, and then we need mom robot to like take care of Boo Boo's entire shoelaces. Yeah. This is so I would actually need to order a couple from the robot company, but yeah. that's all right. So I financially, not, yeah, we're probably still at about six and a quarter, six and a half, maybe. I'll start a separate uh, savings account here. Try and make that happen. Get a GoFundMe going. Yeah, I'm sure people would love to contribute their hard earned cash to that. All right, guys, here, people out there here on the yeah, people have bought, spent money on way weirder shit. Uh, here on the Bro Four Squad podcast, we drink beer and we talk movies, and we start every episode off with the most important thing in any bro's life, and that is chest day. Well, today we're going to skip chest day. Uh, we'll just pretend that Brian and I showed up and did like a light cardio day, maybe played some basketball in the gym at LA Fitness, and we're going to go straight into our protein shake, which is where we go around and talk about what is in our cup, also known as what have we been watching lately. And Jeff, I noticed was, that you failed to mention that uh, game of racquetball that I whooped your ass in. I rolled my ankle early. Hey, champions play through the pain, man. Oh, most most LA fitnesses have cortisone on hand to take care of that. I don't know what kind of dog and pony show you are a member at that didn't have it. Be a little didn't embarrassed. Mean didn't mean let's to just, interrupt. Let's just say the guest pass will not be converting to a full membership. All right, uh, so our protein shake, we're going to each go around and talk about things that we have seen lately. And part of the reason we're skipping chest day today and going straight to protein shake is because Brian and I actually have quite a bit of overlap, things that we've both watched that uh, this is a perfect time to talk about them together. So, Brian, why don't we begin? I will toss it over to you. What is something in your cup? What have you seen lately? So I'm going to kind of surprised we haven't done a review on this one. So I'm just going to come out of the gate with it. Uh, I saw The Flash. Um, as did I. So spoilers ahead for the flash, skip ahead two minutes or so. If you have not seen uh, it yet. Yep. Um, overall, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. Um, Ezra Miller, Miller is a fucking psychopath. Uh, but I thought he did a good job with what he had. Uh, some of the serious stuff didn't really land as hard with me. Um, but I don't know how much of that was him. Uh, or if it was the writing. I mean, they kind of made him a little bitch at times. And See, so, I'm, it's funny because I'm the exact opposite. I thought he was really good at the serious stuff. And I still just think he is a horrible comedic actor. 
like everything he does feels so contrived and like over the top goofy like he just he does not understand comedic timing or like what organic humor is but i thought the serious stuff with his mom was i mean that shit worked for me so that's kind of funny that you thought the opposite i think the story stuff worked i think the way that his character was written and the way that he was told to do it didn't work some of his mannerisms i just felt were forced um maybe he's just not a good fake crier but i thought every time i saw tears i was like okay so that is just a bunch oh, of fucking bullshit. I was going to say, they definitely CGI'd some tears for my man. Yeah. There's no way those it, were authentic. No. So some of that, I guess that's more what I'm talking about. Um, I thought the story was good. There was some stuff from, obviously, Flashpoint Paradox is one of my favorite lo- uh, comic runs um, ever. Love Flashpoint Paradox, the DC animated. Probably one of my favorite cartoons. Uh, it is my is favorite only, DC animated. This felt only like kind of loosely based on that. I feel like I, I would agree with that. They they took that idea and they took a lot of liberties. I would say most of the liberties that they took, I liked. Yeah, um, I like the Thomas Wayne portion in the comics and the cartoon. I could do without the Atlanteans verse um, the Themyscira. So I'm kind of glad that wasn't a part of it. And this was more. Boring. I agree. Yes, I agree that this is uh, I would say a good analogy is Flashpoint Paradox is an overarching theme. Right. You have all these other things coming in together and they told Barry's story within that broader story, similar to how Captain America's Civil War was Captain America's view of this civil war that they had um, It's kind of from his his point of view and his motivations behind it. Yeah, not, and I guess they're not apples to apples, but they're like green apples to red apples. Yeah. And I don't need it to be like a straight off the page remake. I actually think that. I mean, I obviously loved Keaton in this, and I say obviously because on this pod we have, I mean, we're massive fans of his iteration of Batman. It was iconic to our childhood. So I guess he kind of plays the role of Thomas Wayne, albeit a much different version of Batman because his version from 89, I actually liked what they did. It would have been really predictable to make him like jaded and kind of over crime fighting. But he basically just says, yeah, I did such a good job that Gotham doesn't really need me anymore. It's kind of why he's retired. Right, which I thought was awesome. You didn't have that anger that you have from Thomas Wayne in the, in the comics, you don't necessarily have here. And I think that's a good thing because that would have taken away from Barry trying to get back to his own timeline. Yeah. In my, in my, in my opinion. Um, but overall I, I thought it was good. It's, it's definitely upper tier of the DC, uh, movies, the DCEU, if that's what we're calling them. I don't I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Is that even a fucking thing anymore? This so Aquaman and the last Lost Kingdom is supposed to be like the last DCEU movie because James Gunn said Blue Beetle they can work with. Um, Okay, so so this is like the second to last one, I I think. And there's a big gap between this and number one. But I think this is my second favorite uh, DCEU movie behind Wonder Woman. I would agree with that. Um. I you could convince that. me. You could convince me if I've had enough to drink that uh, BVS is better than this. Yeah, probably could. But it's a tight um, race for that second place. I. This is not the movie's fault at all. This is just something, and I'm going to talk about this again at the end of the pod. But I saw this movie thir- the Thursday that it came out, the day that it came out at 11 a.m. And I had the two biggest cameos in it spoiled for me prior to that on the internet. By watching a Black Mirror review. Like, what the fuck is the internet doing, dude? 
Like, what am I supposed to do? The day it comes out, I go before lunch to see it. And these people are fucking spoiling. Like, the internet needs to stop with this shit, dude. Give people at least a weekend to see this shit. I wasn't even, like, looking for it. Again, I watched a Black Mirror review on YouTube, and they spoiled a huge cameo at the end. It's absurd. That's, uh, yeah, that's wild, man. I, I'm sorry that happened to you. Because if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you got a big spoiler from Endgame spoiled as well, right? Yeah, fortunately. Oh, and you got something in Han Solo spoiled, too. That was, yeah. Dude, that time like, I, went, I went Thursday at 5 o'clock, and a kid in the fucking bathroom who had just come out of the movie spoiled that for me. Yeah, and you punched that kid in the mouth and made him eat a urinal cake, right? God, I wish. I should have. Anyway, I digress. Get, getting a little off track here. Uh, overall, I liked it. Um, again, spoilers. I think we've gone over that couple of minutes. So skip ahead another minute if you don't want spoilers of one of these cameos. That last one, uh, Clooney, it was good. It was fine. I liked it, I guess. I wish it was Pattinson. I yeah, think it would have been the issue, the more issue relevant. Pattinson. I think... Yeah, I think you could have done more with it if it was Pattinson um, and maybe actually kept all this somewhat together. But I also appreciate the fact that they just it's a clean cut. We're not doing that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think the reason they didn't make it Pattinson is they don't want anything to do with this universe anymore. James Gunn doesn't like he wants the clean breakup. So it's like, hey, come over and pick up your stuff. It's over. And if they threw Pattinson in there, not only then does that complicate what Matt Reeves is trying to do, but now James Gunn with his new Batman movie that's coming out. And actually Andy Muschietti, the director of this just got hired to do Batman brave and the bold. Now he has to figure out how to make this shit work. So yeah, that's probably I, seeing Clooney again. That was one of the things that had spoiled for me. I think that was just kind of a fun, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I do not expect ever George Clooney to come back and don the Cape and Cal again, but it was kind of a fun, uh, I would bet the farm. Joke. He's not, he was never doing another Batman movie as, as, a full-on Batman. I think he'll do. He could do another cameo here or there, like this, uh, but he's never going to put on the the mask in the cape. Yeah, and I actually heard they had shot three different endings to this movie, all three with different when different people were in charge at WB, which just shows you that, what a fucking mess they are. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, I did like the again. Skip ahead for another cameo spoiler. Um, I did like the uh, Nick Cage one. Yeah, I and I understand like the way Barry's seeing it through like all the different multiverses colliding that it's not like actual real life, but like that one, the Christopher Reeves one, I get why he was CGI'd, but like that was did Nick Cage just like do mocap for that because that was not physically him. I, like I a, he had to have. It looked like shit, but I like the fact that they brought him, you know, with everything that he was gonna be Superman and then he wasn't and blah blah, blah all that. Like I, I liked it. It was fun for me. I enjoyed that. Same. I have fun with that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a flash. Uh, 7.4 out of 10. 7.44, if we're going to be exact. We are going to be exact. Thank you for... Okay, 7.44001 repeating. Okay. I'm pretty close to that. So we're on the same page there. What, uh, What do you got? All right, let me mention one thing real quick, which Banner and I have a movie commentary for this that will be dropping uh, end of July. So a little tease, you got to wait for it. But we watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. This is the one where they travel back to feudal Japan to retrieve a scepter. And we did this in preparation for uh, the uh, Mutant Mayhem Ninja Turtles movie that's coming out August 2nd. So 
whenever that drops, uh, check it out. Watch Ninja Turtles 3 with us, and we're big turtle heads, so that was fun. Ben, anything you want to tease for the fans? Um, no, I mean, it's. I would say that if you haven't visited in a while, and especially if you didn't have fun with it or didn't like it, I know some of the other bros, uh, Geiger specifically, does not like the third one. Go back yeah. and revisit it. It's not as bad as you remembered. I'm not going to say it's good by any means, but it's right. fun. And it's definitely not as good as uh, Secret of the Ooze, but what no. is? Or, or or the first one. I would I would even say it's not even as good as TMNT, the 20, uh, 2007 animated one. That one is sneaky good, I think. Very sneaky good. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to mention, and I, we, I, we can have a, a longer discussion when – either cycle is on or after you have finished it. But uh, Ted Lasso season three, finish this. Um, we can talk about wh- after you see it, whether it is the definitive ending of the show, but I'm very pleased with how this season ended. I like where the characters ended up at. This show has always done a great, I, I almost think it's become more of like a drama than it has a comedy. And I think I would that's agree with that. a strength of it. Like it's made me laugh less and less as the three seasons have gone on, but I think it's made less attempts at humor as the three seasons have gone on. And if it is ending, I kind of hope it is not because I don't enjoy it, but because I do. And I want to see it die a hero, uh, as opposed to live long enough to see itself become the villain. And I think it's done all it can do with, uh, the story arcs that it's, it's created. And it would be a good spot to end it. If season three was the end of it, you have one episode left, right? I've got one episode left, so I can speak quite a bit on it. Um, I would agree. I think it's more of a drama. I think that, especially in this third season, like you, like you said, they don't attempt a lot of comedy or as much comedy as they did in the previous seasons. But mm-hmm. when they do, does it fucking land? Every yeah. single thing that they did comedically, at least for me, landed. Uh, and I, again, I haven't seen the, the last episode, so maybe there's something in there. But um, I agree. I think if this is the end, I don't know how it actually ends. So I'm speaking out of my ass a little bit. But this is definitely one where I want it to end on its terms, not the network's terms. Yeah, you know, because you right, because you know that the network is going to keep begging them to pump out more and more seasons yeah. of this. They're like, look, we'll give you seven more seasons if you want it. Yeah, they just got to hold strong there, not yeah. do it. All right, what else you got? All right, uh, next. All right, I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to try not to be long-winded about it because this movie was long enough. Uh, Avatar, The Way of Water, recently dropped on Disney+. Plus. Um, you know what's weird, real quick? This is also, I don't get how the licensing works because Disney is on Fox now for, I feel like, almost four years. But it, it was it's also on HBO Max. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I just I'm stopped so trying confused. to use it. But also, you have an Avatar land at Disney before Disney bought Fox. It's so bizarre. Give me, give me, how, how the fuck does like the, the theme park rights work on that shit? I don't no get idea. It. I don't know. Anyway, um, guys, I mean, visually, it was cool. I don't understand why we got this or what the real motivation of why we got this was or why it took 10 plus years to get it. I, I suppose the acting was fine. It was way, way too fucking long. Um, what was this? Did this clock in at over three? Yeah, I think it was like 3.15, maybe. Um, Jeff, off pod, you asked me a question that I refused to answer until we were recording. Uh, yeah, how many settings did it take you to knock this bad girl out? Because for me, that would be about four to five sittings. 
This was five sittings. Okay. This was five sittings, and one of those sittings was probably hour 45. Um, Damn. Basically, you get the first 30 minutes. All right, we're setting up where we're at now. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years has passed since the first one. The next hour 45 to two hours is essentially everything we learned in the first movie. God damn Did it. you know that they take their hair and they can like connect it to animals and they do shit and they can connect with the earth and it's all super scientific spiritual? This was my problem with Spider-Verse. Yes. So that was the next like it was legit two acts, probably half of the first act, the entire second act and part of the third act. And then the third act is just a giant fucking action set piece, but it was all CGI. I don't know. It was fucking weird. Uh, they brought people back that, okay, you brought them back. Uh, the spoiler for Avatar, if you haven't seen it, honestly, I don't recommend it, so I'm going to tell you anyway. Stephen Lang's character comes back, but you know he died in the first one. Yeah. Well, he took his conscience right before he died, right before oh, he went to that last battle, fuck. last movie, and then put it into an Avatar. So now he's an Avatar that is trying to, to get revenge on the avatars because he lost, but he didn't know he lost until he literally told himself that he lost. Cool. So now he's mad. Um, so there's that Sigourney Weaver's character. Again, she died, right? Yes. Uh, somehow her avatar had a fucking baby. What? Maybe I'm too stupid or I missed it because I had to watch it in so many fucking settings. Cause it honestly was just kind of boring. Um, but so she had a baby. Didn't the, hum- don't the humans it's, have to pilot their avatar? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Not apparently not anymore. Okay. Now, now they can just make avatars. But the difference in like a, a purebred avatar and a not purebred is a purebred has four fingers, whereas a mm. or excuse me, a purebred has three fingers and then a hybrid has four. So you know, you, you that that makes a lot of sense too. Uh, Sigourney Weaver voiced her daughter, so it was weird having a 65-year-old Sigourney Weaver voicing a 14-year-old baby of Sigourney Weaver. I, I just couldn't. Necessary? I just couldn't get over it. It was fucking weird, man. I just couldn't get over it. And uh, I can't wait to wait another 15 years so I can do this all over again. Yep, I think now the last one will come out in 2031, which. For someone who's as environmentally it's conscious too as fucking soon. Yeah, for someone who's as environmentally conscious as James Cameron seems pretty ballsy to even assume the earth will be around by then, but good for him. <laughs> like uh, and actually at the start of this conversation, this was a six point zero 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 three. Uh, and since we've been talking, it has now moved down to probably like a five eight. Okay. It just it just is so unnecessary. Again, visually, it was fine. And I probably would have been okay with this movie if it came out in 2010. Yeah, or, I'm just or 2012. When did the the original came out? Was it 09? <sighs> Maybe even Some, earlier. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I just like know that. like the the big sell to the original one was everything visually groundbreaking that it was doing. And now, like, I mean, we're a little bit jaded, and our eyes kind of glaze over at the concept of like 3D and this great CGI rendering because we've seen it so many times. Yeah, it didn't. You need to back that up with a good story, and it just it just wasn't there. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I trust Avatar is in my top 100. And oh, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, it was it was it was low and it was low, maybe in the eighties the or nineties, I think, but it was in my top one hundred, mainly because no. of what it did for us visually and cinematically. This one needed to come in with a great fucking story, and it could not have been a worse fucking story. Yeah, I mean, and the first one is even basically Pocahontas, but because visually sure. they did enough cool shit, they were able to make up yeah. for it. And I will always remember that theater experience. I remember putting on the fucking glasses for the first time and yeah, it was seeing an the shit. It was it was amazing. I will never forget that. This movie doesn't have that, and uh, I see why they quote unquote pushed it to twenty thirty, um, because you have to push it before you can cancel it. When you spend oh, so that's a yeah. When you spend you know two hundred billion dollars on a fucking movie, you can't just cancel the sequel because it sucked. That's what I think. I still I've talked to Cycle about this. Like I. Th- I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but th- I, there's something that doesn't really add up with the numbers that they always give us about Avatar because I am a diehard movie fanatic. Case in point, we've been doing a podcast for six plus years, and I don't know a single person who I talk to who sees movies very frequently, which is probably like a dozen people. I don't know a single person that saw this in theaters. So who is going that it's getting over the – it's like setting box office records. Well, and not only that, but it, for me – if Disney Plus wasn't a thing, I would have thought about going to see it in theaters. But I knew, okay, in three to six months, it's going to be on Disney Plus or HBO Max because I don't know how that fucking works. I, I would have just watched – I'm just going to watch it there. So mm-hmm. it maybe the streaming services are killing that. But, yeah, I don't understand. Maybe China is still going to the theaters. I don't know. It must It must be them. And it's I It's got to be overseas. Many, I don't have many Chinese friends that I'm on speaking terms with still, so that could be it. Well, I mean, sure. after what you did. I made some mistakes. I'm not going to. At least you, at least you know that. At least you know that. Yeah. All right. Anything else on avatar? No, I've talked too much. I've given it too much. (laughs) Too much airtime. Um, okay. I watched, I don't, I don't think I talked about this on pod because it's still on my notes, but, uh, at 30 for 30 called the American gladiators documentary. You're telling me this off pot. I'm excited. Oh man, this was great. And it's got a nomination already for the, Best documentary, Brosker. It's a two-part doc. Each part, I think, is like an hour to an hour 15 minutes. So total, it's probably clocks in at like two and a half hours. Okay. Um, Brian, did you watch uh, American Gladiators as a kid? Because for me, it was like appointment television, basically. Yeah, you you had to. When you were sick, you watched uh, Price is Right and American mm-hmm. Gladiators. That's what you yep. watch when you're sick. And in the summer, you watched Price is Right. You watched American Gladiators and Jerry Springer. Maybe so Judge are, Judy, it just depends. Yeah, that that you could only watch. I could never get through a full episode, but maybe like one case I could watch. So if you don't know what the American Gladiators was, it was basically a, I wouldn't call it a game show. What would you call it? Like an athletic competition show? It is like, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a game show. But it's like it was like what American uh, Ninja Warrior was before a Ninja American Ninja Warrior. Yes, it was taking quote unquote top athletes, and I use that term loosely, um, against the quote unquote average Joe, and they competed at different physical activities. Right. So it would basically be like a bunch of roided out men and women competing against. Probably above average athletic, uh, like civilians, quote unquote, because 
they talk about in the documentary how the if you wanted to get on the show, you did actually have to do like a little tryout. They wouldn't just let like some fat plumber like show up and get on the show because he'd embarrass himself and get hurt. Um, and they would compete in these competitions. I'm assuming they could win cash, but I don't really remember. And the documentary follows uh, the behind the scenes of the show, like its inception. Um, the guy who created it, quote unquote, and I say quote unquote because there's a lot of drama in this about who actually came <laughs> up with the idea and then sold it to the networks. The guy who created it is a hell of a character, which is what really drives the documentary. Okay. And then the other part of it that's very interesting, as you could imagine, is the actual gladiators who were on the show, like the super athletes that were competing. Right. Um, their lives have basically fallen apart since this ended, like for various reasons. But none of them were properly compensated. And they have all like not all of them, but a large portion of them have very long-term like physical ailments and and injuries that are going to affect them for the rest of their life because of the show and they get a lot of them to come in and speak in the documentary so we have all the key players that we need do they just really, shit on the entire thing they kind of do some of them have fonder memories than others um, okay but yeah you kind of get the whole spectrum there so the two parts and this is the last thing i'll say about it the first part is uh, kind of the creation of the show and its its rise to glory and then its sort of quick downfall in the early aughts. And the first part ends with the another person who was credited as a co-creator but has never been talked to in the documentary is supposedly not allowed to speak on the documentary because the creator of American Gladiators has purchased – I don't know how this is possible, but he's purchased this guy's likeness to where he can keep him from speaking publicly about this anymore. So that's how the first part ends. What? The second part, yeah. So the second part, the documentary filmmakers have to get very creative with how to get this guy's point of view, who isn't allowed to speak to them. And some kind of crazy things happen, and I won't spoil the end of it. But uh, I think the juice is definitely worth the squeeze. And even if you're not a fan of American Gladiators, there, this is a very dramatic story. There's, a, there's enough here to keep you interested, even if you didn't know anything about it going in. So I highly recommend this. It's called the American Gladiators documentary. And I just watched it on the ESPN app. If you go to their, I think they just have like a 30 for 30, like, like section tab, on it. Right? Yeah. 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 I'm excited. Whenever you were telling me about this off pod, I remember thinking, okay, I got to check that out. And then I honestly just, it just slipped my radar, fell through the cracks. So I'm going to have to go back and check that out. Yeah. It's juicy. It, it like sometimes I watch like juicy in like the steroids way or like a good fun wild story. Yes. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, and it, it for you know it, basically an hour and a half of a documentary. It it pretty much flew by for me, which is always key. Yeah, that's good. All right. What else you got? All right. Let's see. Uh, what should we talk about next? So this one is something that um, I think Hulu and disney plus were shoving down my fucking throat um and let's be honest guys i like flaming hot cheetos i am i am, I am of the demographic that loves flaming hot cheetos <laughs> i partake in certain activities that make it better for me um this was called uh uh i don't know my computer's fucking up right now so i'm not flaming sure. hot flaming hot that's what it's flaming called hot. thank you yeah um and this is the story of how Flaming Hot Cheetos was created. It was a guy in the 80s or early 90s that was a janitor for Frito-Lay. And he realized, hey, they don't have anything that uh, – he was Hispanic. And he said, there's nothing that my people 
uh, like. Uh, we're not going to go out and we're not going to buy a potato chip or Cool Ranch Doritos. That's not what we do. We like spicy things. And so him and his family created the uh, concoction of peppers that created Flaming Hot. They threw it on Cheetos. And wham, bam, body slam, you have a brand new uh, chip to distribute. Um, this was clearly made by Disney. Um, I think they, they, di- they Disneyfy it. They Disneyfied it. They churched it up a lot. I haven't done my research. I'm just assuming that this is not what truly happened. Um, the the guy worked at, at Frito Lay for like 40 years or some shit like that. Like he retired in I think 2019. He was he ended up like the head of international marketing or some crazy shit like. Which is great. I believe all of that. They made it seem like he was like a hood rat, like involved in the gangs, like in and out of prison, dealing drugs before he landed this job as a janitor and then was just trying to support his family and all this other stuff. I don't I don't believe that he had that crazy and uh, tumultuous life prior to becoming the janitor. Um, I don't think I don't not that things weren't hard. I believe everybody has hard times i understand that um some people are less fortunate than other people i just don't think he had it as bad as this portrayed it to be it felt very forced it felt very fake um i also think that the way that they told the story um you remember in ant-man the first one uh when um pena's character uh is going through and telling the story and he's like voiceovering all these other people and how they kind of goes him has the vault yes all of that stuff it felt a like a biopic rip off of that oh wow yeah which and sounds I, it, like i would like it on no, the surface you would not like that at all okay. especially because the guy uh who who was playing the jan i don't even remember his name i'm a i'm a terrible fucking person um because he deserves his credit he, he created a fantastic product and uh obviously did great things but um that the guy that played him is like a like a fucking I don't know Windows Vista so Richard Montañez is the actual person and, yes. and Jesse Garcia played him. So Jesse Garcia to me was properly, like which... a Windows Vista Michael Pena. Yeah. And that just actually, didn't... I mean he's got a lot of like bit roles it looks like. I just don't know if I know anything that he Yeah, I, I I'm not saying he was bad. I just it just didn't feel right with how they decided to tell this story um, and with his narrating it and voicing it over and everything. It just, I don't know. It felt weird. Eva Ligoria directed it, which that was cool, I guess. Uh, she wasn't in it, which was even cooler. Looks like the guy, for, look, two, two actors here. We have Dennis Haysbert, who is the Allstate guy. Yep. Yeah, he was in it. I forgot about that. And then that. Tony Shalhoub, who is Monk, and uh, the dad in Marvelous Miss Maisel was in it also. Which I think I remember him from the trailer. I think he plays a high, higher up at Frito-Lay. He is basically the guy that um, Montez somehow got a hold of. And he's the he was the head of PepsiCo at the time who owned Frito-Lay. And he's he bought into the idea of we need this spicy chip. Um, oh, so, cool. again... It, the story itself was cool. How it was delivered was poor, I think, in my opinion. Uh, is it worth a watch? Yeah, I don't know if it's worth a watch, but it's definitely worth a 
30 minute, you're taking a shit Wikipedia, the story and learn about it. Yeah. This seemed like something I might appreciate a 40 minute documentary more than an hour 30. I don't know how long is it. Actually, let me check. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was pretty short. I will give it that. Hour 39. Love that this day and age, especially. Yeah, it was, it didn't feel any longer or any shorter than an hour 49. It was, it was timed really well. Cool. We got, I, okay. We did a review on this, so I just want to plug that, but Banner and I reviewed Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. So, uh, we won't say much about it here. I just wanted to, you know, people on our channel that might either only find this episode or want to hear us talk more about it. Cause we did tease it a little bit. Go check out the review. We liked a lot of things in it and then we definitely had some issues with it, but I think overall banner was your sentiment positive of this movie. I know you always say real quick spoiler for across the spider verse, skip ahead 30 seconds, but you always say it's tough to judge a movie that ends on a cliffhanger like this. But I think there were a lot of good things about this film that we liked. I, I just felt like the runtime was not justified in some ways. And then of course, ending it this way is very risky. And yet they have to understand some people are not going to be the biggest fans of that. Yes. Uh, runtime was a big problem uh, for me. Um, and I, I just don't like two parter movies. That's not a spoiler. It is a two parter. Um, it, I am excited about the third one that doesn't deter me from it. Uh, right. But yeah, there were definitely some things that they could have done better. There was also some things that they did that was really fucking cool. Uh, being two and a half hours was not one of those things that was cool. I just don't know. And you have a kid, too, so you can speak to this probably better than anybody. But, like, how we justify this Little Mermaid being over two, like, significantly over two hours. Like, how are parents supposed to keep their kids in a seat for that long? Uh, yeah, know? I mean, so I, I we saw both of those in theaters with Baby Banner. And on both of those... Um, it's a situation where you get the front row so there's nobody in front of you and you just kind of pancake them and let them rock around in front of you and dance around a little bit. Um, luckily, they're both kid movies, so for the most part, nobody has issues with them getting up and kind of talking. And And honestly, with Across the Universe, a big problem was uh, Baby Banner is, is five. Um, she understands uh, uh, Into the Spider-Verse. She loves it. She would probably say it's one of her favorite movies. And she was very fucking confused in this. Oh, everyone. And that's a problem when it's a kid's movie that is uh, that is marketed for kids. Yeah. And when you have such a good first one. I said that about Frozen 2. I was like, am I the only one that is really fucking confused right now? <laughs> I have no, no idea not. what's going on. I've watched that a dozen times and I still don't understand it. <clears throat> yeah. So, again, these run times are just getting out of control. We got to. Like, John Wick was two hours, 58 minutes. Like, God, that's a fucking action movie. That needs to be an hour 51 at tops. I know. And that's like an adrenaline rush. It's like I'm working out the whole time in watching it. I'm like, you just need to relax. What else you got? Uh, all right. So I, depending when things drop on our channel, actually, this will probably already have been out by the time you listen to this episode, but Cycli and I are going to review uh, season six of Black Mirror. So if you're listening to this and you watch the anthology series Black Mirror, go and check that out. I don't even want to spoil how I felt about the season because holy shit, Cycli and I have some thoughts. Could be very positive, could be very negative, but it is. we are going to be loud and boisterous on this one because Black Mirror, as always, takes swings for the fences. Like it does not try and hit up poke a single to the opposite field it, it nuts up and tries to jack one out of the yeah, park this, so this is a, a mark reynolds situation you're gonna strike out or hit a home run 
everybody knows it. You know it. Pitcher knows it. Right. That's what's going to happen. Don't tell me to move the runner over. I don't even know what the fuck that means. Yeah, that's not in my vocabulary. Yeah. Now, Black so Mirror has always been one that I haven't watched the seasons, but I've been asked to watch specific episodes because mm-hmm. they are anthology. Are there episodes in this season that I should go watch positively or negative, negatively? Yeah, and part of the fun with Black Mirror is they always make some interesting casting choices. Like, people either that you haven't seen in dark roles like this or they just get like big names that you're kind of surprised would do like a 40 minute, you know, episode of something like this. Um, I think there is an episode with Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad, Josh Hartnett and Kate Mara that I think you would really like. All in the same episode? Yes. Now, wow. This one is pretty long. It's an hour, 20 minute episode. And so that was Cycling and Mind's main issue with it. Um, but if you only watched one, I would probably recommend that one. Okay. Might have to go check that out. Yeah. All right. I only have one other thing. Did you have anything else? Yeah, I got a, I got a couple other things here. Um, real quick, uh, Little Mermaid. I liked it. Mm. It was good. Um, I don't know what order it is, but it's a top three Disney live action movie. Length was a problem. Um, I Significantly liked... over two hours. Like yes. 2.15, I think. Yeah. Um, I liked the... New song that they gave Ariel, the one that is in her head. I uh, yep. thought that was really good. Prince Eric was fucking terrible. His Horrible. song was fucking terrible. Horrible. I did not want more backstory on him. I wanted on Ursula. Uh, speaking yes. of which, Melissa McCarthy, my God, I eat my words. Um, Same. During the pandemic, Rebel, Rebel Wilson sang... Um, uh, Four Unfortunate Souls. Four Unfortunate Souls. And I said, that's who I want to be, Ursula. And I will say, Melissa McCarthy, you stepped up. You did a good job. And I'm a fan. It was, it was, it was enjoyable. I echo everything you said. Um, as time has gone on, I think Beauty and the Beast might be my favorite live action. I think Aladdin is behind that. Although Little Mermaid is like almost neck and neck with it. That like. is, that's my same... Uh, testament if we are playing with uh, asterisk extra games uh i'll say cinderella is also in that mix but mm-hmm. cinderella was kind of before the live action craze and it's uh an open ip so anybody can make a cinderella movie um so i know we don't really count that right so what I, my thoughts on the movie, I, again, I agree with everything you said. It really loses steam once she gets to the surface. Yes. Like I, everything underwater looked great visually. I loved Bardem as King Triton. My God, Hallie, was he not fantastic? The so casting good. was great aside from Prince Eric. It really was. That was where, and that's where Harry Styles turning down the role really hurt the film because Halle Bailey, the pipes on her, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, fucking crushed it can you imagine uh, her and styles side by side well also if styles took the role i have a feeling there would have been some different musical choices made with prince eric but that guy was just in way over his head i'm not trying to shit on the dude but like he's, he's he tried punching a, yeah he's punching above his weight he's not ready for a role like this everything on land was super fucking boring and unfortunately like you said the animated movie which we did a movie commentary on the original one from what is it, 79, 69? Uh, 89? Uh, 89. I knew it was a 9. Yeah. I just wanted to say 69. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the animated one is very short. It's like an hour 15, something like that. 
Yeah, and like we, we were wondering on the commentary, we were like, all right, if the live action is an hour longer, where do they juice it? Like, where do they add the difference? And unfortunately, because I would have loved more Ursula, like you said, it was the stuff on the surface. Like Prince Eric's mom is a huge character in this movie. Did not need any of that. Doesn't need it. And it doesn't it doesn't help the story any. It doesn't push the story along anymore. You don't understand any other motivations more. Yeah. And I hate to like state the obvious, but in the Little Mermaid movie, like I'm sorry, I'm not interested in the a uh, human on land who's Prince Eric's mom. Like what? Nope. Give me give under- me more of the always general rule. Give me more of the villain's backstory. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Rarely am I like, oh, they gave me too much info on the on the antagonist. But the music was great, and I especially thought the final action set piece, uh, which mirrored the the animated film almost to a T. I thought that shot was for shot. perfect. So, so well fucking done. cool. The lighting and way that they composed everything with Ursula just looked awesome. And I agree. When they cast Melissa McCarthy, I rolled my fucking eyes. I always joke with my wife because my wife laughed like one time at a Melissa McCarthy joke. So I claim that she's like obsessed with Melissa McCarthy. She like, is. She has a tattoo on her forearm that says, I love Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, but everyone has that. It's true. Yeah. So I, I joked like, there's your boy, Melissa McCarthy. She's like, she's not my boy. Like, I laughed one time at a joke she had in Bridesmaids. But I have to eat crow here. I was wrong. She fucking knocked this role out of the park. And if Bardem and Halle Bailey weren't so great, I would have said she's probably the standout performer in it. I would agree. She had the... Uh... She she came out of nowhere. I, I I had high hopes for Halle Bailey and Bardome. Obviously, he's he's great anyway. So both of them were already starting way higher. Melissa McCarthy though had the biggest jump from where I thought she was going to be to where she ended. If that yeah. makes sense. Uh, and Kiss the Girls, which is one of it's probably a top five Disney song for me. It's at the bottom of that list, but that's a tough list to crack. Yeah. They executed it perfectly, and I have to say, just looking back. We need to do a list of biggest cock blocks in movies because those two eels from The Little Mermaid. Oh, my God, dude. They, they might be like a two seed in that. Tournament. Yeah, that's our that's our tournament right there. Yeah. I mean, th- that is just wild. The deflection they did right there. But overall, I think it was pretty solid. But like you said, shave 20 minutes off of it. Uh, let's do a little bit less on land. And it would have been my favorite live action Disney movie, which still isn't like an impossible list to top. But there is some quality in there, at least at the top. And I think um, I know I know Little Mermaid is extremely popular, but at least for me on my list, it is uh, one of the lower uh, titles that I like mm-hmm. uh, as far as Definitely. the cartoons go. And so for it to do so well in the live action setting and be that high on my list is is a big testament. Yeah, I always kind of wonder, like, does that make it easier for me to be impressed with the live action or harder? Because if I don't like the original that much, like. Do I have less of an expectation going in or am I just inherently less interested, which actually makes it a little more difficult? I never know. Yeah, I don't know. I know that Beauty and the Beast is a top three of the uh, animated and it's obviously a top three of the of the uh, live action, too. So I I don't know how to answer that question. And on this pod, we've been the first to admit we talk out of both sides of our mouth because we go in (laughs) to the live action and anytime they change anything, we're like, well, what the fuck? It's not like that in the animated movie. But then also we've said, well, if you're just going to make it the same, then why even fucking do it? So I don't know what I want, to be honest. I don't, I don't know what I want either, but that's not for me to figure out. That's, that's for, for you. Them to, that's for them to figure out. <laughs> exactly. And they haven't God. done it yet. No, they haven't. Uh, uh, all right. I got one more thing. 
but All if you've right, got I've anything got, else. I've got two more, but one of them I know you have seen as well. Oh, perfect. Just do one of them, random. Okay. I'll do I'll do the one that you haven't seen. Um, and this isn't really a movie. This is this is cheating. This was an episode of E60 called Once Upon a Time in Anaheim. Um, for those of you that don't know, E60 is a uh, documentary series on ESPN, kind of like 30 for 30, but not as long. And it just uh, like randomly pops up. Like there's really no schedule to it. No, there's not. It's just whenever they have one, they throw it in there. Um, I think this one was technically like season 15, episode six or some shit like that, which I didn't yeah, even did know you, that it was been how out did that you, long. How did you find out about this? To be honest with you, I think I was scrolling through like Twitter or Instagram or something. And it was like an advertisement from E60, like newest episode just released Once Upon a Time in Anaheim. Um, obviously, we know, you guys know that I'm a huge Disney fan. Um and I love the Eisner years uh, as oh, up yeah. and down as they were. They were so much fun. And I mean, that's what High I highs up. for sure. Yeah. And low lows. Uh, this is arguably one of the lows. This tells the story of how um, the Mighty Ducks, the movie got made by Disney and how Disney decided to parlay that with we're going to buy an expansion team and call them the Mighty Ducks. And it is the story of them buying it and then the story of the real Mighty Ducks through Disney's uh, reign before they sold them. And I believe it was 2006. Um, so was the plan they were rebranded always, to the Ducks. Was the plan always to, to buy the team after the movie or was the movie such a success that they were like, I actually think we can parlay this now that a team's for sale into a you know, purchase that we can move. So this was the most Disney-fied thing ever. And really, other than Eisner, uh, they made this look like it was the best fucking idea in the world. Even Eisner was like, look, yeah, we, we swung and missed sometimes. This might have been one of those times. I don't know. I'll let you decide. Eisner was the only one that I felt was very real in the entire thing. They, they did uh, interview some of the players that played for the Ducks. Um, some of them was Paul Korea in it? Oh, he was in it. Nice. He was. He's in you one of the movies. Yeah, you remember that fucking hit that he took uh, in that playoff game? Was it first the Devils? I have no I idea. I d which movie? Is he in the second one or the third one? I think he's in the school? third one. Okay. I think he's... He, yeah, it might have been the second. Him, it, it was him and Timu Solani, right? I don't remember. I just fucking oh, watched Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, you're right, because they, like, played... Like, Charlie thinks that their high school coach is, like, just like, some fucking asshole. And yeah. Paul Correa's like, no, I played with him. He was, like, the best player I ever saw or some shit like that. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, So they they made it... They Disney-fied the fuck out of this. ESPN and Disney made them look like this was the best idea. And, look, it wasn't our fault that they didn't do better. Um, at the end of the day, they didn't invest any money in their players, and that's why they didn't win. They didn't get the top players. Um, they also made every game a Disney theatric event, very similar to what they do to Disney on Ice, um, which that's Disney on Ice, in its, in its own right, is great. I love Disney on Ice. Uh, been front row seats several times, but it's not a fucking hockey game. Right. It's not, an, it's not an NHL team trying to win every night. Right. And it was just how it just showed that an entertainment company should not own a professional sports team. 
but if you drank the Kool-Aid of this show, um, you th- you are completely bum puzzled by why they didn't win 15 championships in 15 years. Yeah, you're almost like we'll replace them with the fucking kid ducks. Then they would have won. Pro- probably. Um, it just it it didn't sit well with me. It was, I guess, kind of neat to see, but there was no downside. They didn't show any of the turmoil behind the scenes, and that's why you watch a documentary, right? Is you want to know what went wrong. And they this kind of sh- seems to me like a conflict of interest too, because as we know, Disney owns ESPN, so oh, they're going to make a documentary about themselves, and we're supposed to expect them to show us the you know where the how the pig is their bacon's made. I don't think so. Obviously, or not obviously, I don't know what I'm saying here. The only, I'm surprised Eisner did this. Um, obviously, I, I, we all know Eisner has come under a lot of scrutiny for a lot of different things that he tried. High highs, low lows. Um, I, I'll be the first to admit that. But he was like the only one willing to talk shit on what they did and how they did it. And that, to me, Just makes me it, like dude. Yeah, it makes me like him a little bit more. Uh, but the Disney company did not echo his sentiments. Disney kind of has. And again, they're not unique as far as like major corporations go in this regard, but they do kind of have a track record of just being kind of chicken shit when someone asks them like to look back on any of their events. Like every one of the documentaries that they've done about like on, of sports teams for the most part, except even with the last dance, I think, but they, the people they're doing the documentary on, they, kind of shy away from actually making them look too bad, which is why I actually like the American Gladiators documentary so much because I don't know if the main guy in it knows that he's coming across as a total fucking dick, but he is. So in the Eisner thing, I, I at least appreciate that he's transparent and honest after all these years. Yeah, he, he definitely admitted uh, he had some some wrongs and some faults. But again, if that works out, he's a fucking genius. All right, Jeff, you got you got something else, and then there's I got one last thing that uh, we both saw. Perfect. Okay, so I get um, I signed up for this like newsletter that I get like once a week. It's called Screen Grab, and it gets sent to the Broforce Squad email. But I usually read it and move it in a folder probably before any of you guys can see it. Um, yeah, and basically, I check the inbox so often. <laughs> basically, what it is is it tells me what is coming out that week like not only on all the streaming platforms and theaters but uh, on network tv which even though i don't have cable anymore i've cut the cord completely you can usually find that stuff on either some streaming service or uh you know various ways um library correct through my local library if you want to watch it and every once in a while there is a lifetime original movie that the premise of it sort of intrigues me and i'm like hmm I mean, this probably isn't going to be like an Academy Award winning film, but I might give it a poke. And one of these that I had added to my watch list uh, and finally got around to watching today was called Girl in the Closet. Um, and I checked it out. The I've, I have a couple issues with this and I won't talk about it too long because I wrote a letterbox review if you do want to see my full thoughts on it. But two things. First off, Banner, uh, it's about a girl who gets abducted by her aunt when her mom has uh, some sort of accident that leaves her in the hospital. The problem is there is at no point in this movie, a closet ever. What? The girl is in the basement the whole time. Does she have a closet? Uh, She, the woman might, but there's no girl in the closet ever. 
Uh, we don't even see, like, there isn't even, like, an opening shot of her taking a jacket out of a closet. Not the girl, if there is. Yeah, it's wow. an adult at all times. So that was, like, my main issue. And this, uh, the whole, move, like, I'm 40 minutes in, and I'm like, are they going to move her to a fucking closet at some point? Because if not, like, this whole thing is a lie. It's We're a bait and switch. Some issues. I tuned in explicitly being promised a girl in a closet, and it's yet to happen. At the end, they, spoilers for girl in the closet. At the end, they do move her in a shed for a little bit, but we can't count that, right? That's not a closet. That's not a closet. In, not the a closet. Shed, in the shed, it's like yard equipment. So again, I was going to say, like have... if, it was, if it was a shed slash like storage unit that had clothes in it, I'm a nice guy, so I'll give you a pass. But if we got yard equipment, what the fuck are we doing? Right. It's it's outside. It's a shed. You know, it's like we got there's like rakes and stuff inside of it. Have you ever tried to wear a mower? Yes. Yeah, it doesn't work. Does not. That's why I lost my left arm. That's right. Uh, The other thing that I have an issue with. So without getting into the details of the plot, not because I don't want to spoil them, but just because it's sort of irrelevant here. uh, The girl is, is in the basement with a few other people that her aunt and her aunt's boyfriend are, or I guess her husband are keeping hostage. And there are so many opportunities in this movie for these people to escape. In fact, at one point they asked the main girl to take the trash out. So she like walks out she, in a fucking neighborhood is where they live. She walks outside with the trash, sets it in the trash can. And she's like looking outside through the neighborhood. And she like prays that somehow they'll release her and let her be free. And the whole time I was watching, I was like, bitch, I think they did. Does she have like a leash on so she can't Nothing. get away? Nothing. And the guys even look not, e- not even like a shot collar where she like walks past the threshold and it shocks her. See, you're already thinking way more than the people who are the captors in this. Not only that, during this scene while she's like praying and looking up at the moon, the guy who's holding her captive is like looking at her through the window, but he's like 50 feet away and inside. And he's like, she's going to try and escape one day. And I was like, dude, if she's not doing it now, I think you're fine. I think Stockholm syndrome has fully set in because this is fucking wild. At some point, just admit it. If you like living there, you know, maybe, maybe she was waiting to be put in a closet as well. Yeah, maybe she was like, you promised me a closet. I'm still waiting for it to happen. Yeah, so. It's like, look, once you put me in a closet, yeah, I'm running. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of the day, this is what I'll say about these Lifetime movies. Actually, one of them that I wrote a review for, the screenwriter of the movie commented on my review. Um, That's amazing. It was actually one that I liked. So this one, again, there's some good ideas in it. I think it's actually based on a true story, but two things that don't work for it. Number one is... It's basically the same scene over and over. Like, there's no progression in the plot. Mm -hmm. And number two, it's just so dark and morose. Like, when these Lifetime movies work best, they're having a little bit of fun with the viewer. They're kind of, you know, a little bit in on the joke. They know it's lower budget. That's why all the Christmas ones work. Exactly. That's why the Hallmark Christmas movies have carved out a niche. Um, Because they're low rent, you watch them, you just drink eggnog with your family and laugh at the performers and they're kind of in on the joke. This one, I get the subject matter is very heavy, um, so it's probably harder to do this with. But man, it is just like really intense and like it's it's not enjoying itself at all. So, yeah, it was was kind of a slog to get through. So I don't recommend Girl in the Closet, especially if you're looking for the aforementioned closet. It's not going to show up. 
Maybe it'll be in the sequel. We <laughs> promise Girl in the Closet this time. Maybe You know what? I think I might have exited during the credits. Maybe there was a post-credit scene where the closet shows up. I didn't. Uh, yeah. Fuck. Man. You gotta That's watch it again me. now. People online are like, dude, you skipped through the credits of Girl in the Closet? the best part. Fucking idiot. You deserve that then. All right, Brian, what else you got? All right. Uh, that was way more than I, I thought know. I would say about Girl in the Closet. <laughs> but that's what we do here on the Bro4 Squad. That's, that's what why we you do. come here. If you can find yeah. another podcast that talks about Girl in the Closet, the Lifetime original movie, then please send it to me. Anyone out there listening? <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, Brian. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that needed to be said. Uh, so this last thing I've got, I know you watched as well, and... Uh, this is going to be the most positive thing that we we watched uh, all episode that we've talked about all episode, and that's ex- Extraction Two, um, the Chris Hemsworth uh, just fucking straight action movie the entire time, shoot 'em up, happens in a day kind of movie, best kind, right? This yes. was fantastic. Um, I think the more the longer that it sits with me, I do think it's better than the first one originally like fresh out of watching it i don't think it was the more it sits with me this is better than the the first one uh the the first one had some really good long action sequences uh with no cuts which i really liked and really appreciated i think this one had a few few more cuts in it in some of the action scenes but my god this is some of the most creative camera work i have seen in a really really long time it's wild uh I gave it a five out of five on Letterboxd. It's already nominated for the Broscar for Best Action Movie. The story is just enough. Like, there's just enough meat on the bone there that it actually makes the action scenes feel like they have some gravitas and, like, they matter. And I said this in my Letterboxd review and in the text thread to you guys. <clears throat> there's a shot or an action sequence in this. It's probably, like, 15 or 20 minutes. And it's made to look like it's all done in one uh shot there's obviously like some hidden cuts in there and uh allegedly it took three months to film i think it is the second best action scene and i don't think this is hyperbolic because i've like thought about it quite a bit second best action scene i've ever seen in a movie ever behind which which scene which scene was this it starts with the prison break and then it ends uh at the end of the trip okay okay perfect that's what that's what i thought you were talking about i just wanted to make sure yeah that was I put it behind uh, the uh, palace slash freeway fight in Matrix Reloaded. That's the the best action sequence I've ever seen. This is second on that list. Unfucking believable. It was incredible, and that's what I was talking about with some of the the creative camera work that they did. You would go from like a still still camera, right, watching something go down, to all of a sudden you're moving to like almost first person running it felt video game-ish at a time um and then all of a sudden you go you like spin around and boom there's a fucking airplane getting blown up in front of your face yeah they did some wild fucking shit with this and again the transition on once they got on the train some of the train scene or or pieces were uh some of my favorite parts of the entire movie they just do shit absolutely incredible you've never seen before i already want kind of want to go back we should do a commentary on it because i already want to go back and rewatch it did we do a commentary on the first one because if we have no, it, we need to do that as well 
Yeah, I don't think we have. That's let's just find a night where we can just double dip and do them both because they're not they're not really all that long. I think this one came in just at two hours. Yeah, and we're talking about movies that justify the runtime. Like this one does not overstay its welcome at all. In fact, I probably could have used ten more minutes of it. If we're being honest. Yeah, just because of how creative it was. I mean, yeah. it this like you said, the story was just enough. Um, they they actually built some depth to a couple of these characters. Which was but it, incredible. But to it doesn't, do when... Go ahead. I was just going to say, it doesn't feel like a Steven Seagal movie where it's like melodramatic, like, you know, because Chris Hemsworth has very good acting chops and they don't keep going to the well of emotion so much where you're like, dude, we get it. Something bad happened to this character. Like, it's just tactfully inserted just so we care enough with what's happening to him. And it was set... This one was set up so beautifully by the first one. Oh, yeah. In, in the fact that he is just a mercenary, doesn't know anything. You know, there's some sort of trauma that he's trying to uh, run from. And he's got these demons from his past life, but they never touch on it in the first one. Yeah. You learn like what it is in this one. To. Yeah. You learn uh, what it is in this one and you get it and you you feel for the guy. And also, we said it before. Is there a better fucking cooler name than Tyler Rake? No, and in the first one, he kills someone with a rake. I was wanting that to happen again in this one. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. I know. Uh, somebody did get killed with a shovel, though. They did. Yeah. Yes. Had to do was it. Was it by Tyler Rake, which I think is, is – it would be irresponsible if it was. So he's got to use some sort of like gardening or lawn equipment every movie to kill a person, right? He, uh, yeah, I feel like hanging somebody with a garden hose is going to come <laughs> – come up next oh that's an interesting one you need to be in the writer's room <laughs> they put out like a list of gardening tools and they're like all right come up with something creative with one of these like i already got it move it give me the whiteboard give me the marker actually real quick let me draw this up yeah this is i would say just off the top of my head you're gonna have a uh big office lobby and in that lobby you have a fountain and there's like a big garden area so naturally you're gonna have to have a spigot with the hose for maintenance to, to water those. And that was laying out. Maybe it's the evening empty lobby. Uh, that's on the second floor. You got some fighting, gets it wrapped around his neck, throws him over the railing while fighting one or two other guys. That's yeah, you scene. have a, you have a vision, my friend. We need to execute it. Um, real quick. So can can, can we have people skip ahead like a minute? Cause I want to spoil the two theories that I, one that I have. And then another one that I've read about who the aforementioned character could be at the end. Love it. All right. So Idris Elba, skip ahead if you haven't seen Extraction 2. Idris Elba appears. Well, he's in it earlier in the movie, too. But uh, obviously Heimdall from the MCU has worked a lot with Chris Hemsworth. It was really, really fun to see him in it, especially with the Russo brothers producing. But he appears as uh, a figure who assists Tyler Rake, gives him his mission, and is working for an organization that – I can't remember the name of Tyler's um, – like partner, the girl, but apparently like she knows his organization, this Idris Elba's group, Nikki. right? Nick. Sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, and he says that he works for a quote, gnarly motherfucker. So the two theories that are out there, number one is the Russos, the, the person that they would like to bring in to play this gnarly motherfucker in the third extraction would be Tom Hiddleston, which I think would be Ooh. awesome. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be sick? Dude, like, he is the perfect, like, 
British, like, just criminal boss, right? Yes, Dressed in the nines be. the whole time. Ugh, I know. And see him in Hemsworth again in a role like that would be so fucking cool. So cool. The other theory out there is the Russo brothers also directed The Gray Man, also on Netflix, that it could okay. be Ryan, Ryan Gosling's character from The Gray Man. Uh, that would be cool. Not as cool as Hiddleston. I agree. But it would be kind of cool to like bring the, it would be like, do like an Avengers quote unquote, like connection movie with the gray man and Tyler Rake. That just like kicking, cool. just like kicking ass. My problem with that is that Gosling as, uh, in, in gray man, I just didn't buy him as like this badass dude. Sure. He did fine. I just didn't buy him as that. And that's probably just because he's never done that before, really. Um, so I naturally just have a, I don't want to say disdain, but shy away from it a little bit. Yeah, I would. Over, but if they could do this two? with like two or three other things, too, like, uh, dude, that'd be fucking sick. Yeah, like what's like another there's got to be like another Netflix IP out there where maybe Red Notice could tie in. I was just about to say Red Notice. Um I don't know Although, that he would work. He wouldn't work for one of them, but maybe he's yeah. going against them in something. Gal Gadot has a action, original action movie coming out on Netflix in August called Heart of Stone that looks tonally very on par with this movie. So maybe they could tie all three of those together. That'd be kind of cool. If Netflix is doing this, I will watch all the Netflix trash that they put out to get yeah. this every five years. Same. Yeah. But I think of those, I would definitely prefer Hiddleston. That would just be so sick. Oh, yeah. It would be so fucking sick, dude. And to see him, uh, him, uh, Idris Elba and Hemsworth together again. Mm-hmm. That just super. God, it just gives me chills thinking about it. I know when I heard, when I heard that rumor, I was like, D-. and it's the Russo brothers. So like clearly, I mean, they haven't worked with Hiddleston as much. I guess they didn't. They only worked with Elba really on that one scene in Infinity War. So they probably work with Hiddleston a little bit more, but the relationship is there. I mean, that would be really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I think. Also, I think the Russo brothers, they hold enough weight that if they say, hey, do you want to do this? You're already going to be interested. And then Absolutely. your boy Hemsworth calls you up. He's like, bro, let's run it back. All right. I'm in. Dude, Hiddleston would have so much fun in that role, too. Yeah. So much fun. He would he would play. Uh, I could see him being like a, a Jake Gyllenhaal in Ambulance. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Like, he is, he, you can see it in his eyes that he's just this crazy motherfucker trying to keep it together, but he also just has all this power that he doesn't know what to do with. I could just, I don't know. I can see him playing it that way, and I think it would be really fucking cool. I mean, we, I'm trying to think of anything I've seen him in where he's like in like the contemporary world, as weird as that is to say. Like what he was he in, in a show that I watched uh, a while back. What the fuck was that called? It was like a, it was only like four episodes, I think, on maybe AMC. The what Night the Manager. That? that might. But even that, I thought about. was like in the eighties. Anyway, it would just be cool to see him with like modern technology and like just fucking chewing the scenery and I don't yeah, know, like playing doo doo jump on an iPhone. Definitely that. Yes. <laughs> All right, you got anything else? What's that? 
That bird noise brings us to the last part of our show, our question and answer segment, which is our do you even lift bra portion of the show, where we ask a movie or TV-related question and we leave you guys with it. The question today, if you click the link in the description of this podcast episode, is we are continuing our countdown of all of the bros' top 100 movies of all time. We started this... Man, now it's got to be almost like a year and a half ago, I think. Um, It's been a a fat minute. Yeah. So, Banner, why don't you explain to the people what these lists of our top 100 movies are? Because these are not, like, if you look at the AFI, you know, the American Film Institute's top 100 movies of all time, it definitely has a much different flavor than the link in this uh, episode does of the ones that we are putting together. Yeah, I mean, I would say out of the five bros... Uh, and the AFI top 100, there's probably 10 movies that are on the bros list that are off are also on the top 100, uh, AFI movies. These are our lists. Um, and today I am going to have a perfect example of why these are our lists. And this is what I can do what I want with it. Um, there are movies that are on these lists that don't deserve to be sniffing the top 1000 top movies in movie history. But yet they are in our personal top 100s for a sentimental reason or uh, we just had a great theater experience or there was one uh, Geiger just had a great fucking day when he saw that movie. And so yeah. it just made an impression on him. That yeah, is you what defines list. these. Very well said. I encourage you at home to start to put together your list because it's yours unapologetically. Any memories you have with a movie that cause it to have a certain ranking you don't have to justify that. It's yours. It's not the best movies do you think like technically ever made or acted. It's your top 100 favorite movies of all time. And Banner, as we start today, we are in to the top 50. So again, the, the complete list is linked in the description of this episode, but uh, we're not fucking around anymore, right? I mean, this is serious shit. We've been alive, you know, 30 plus years. These are the top 50 movies we've ever seen. It's not a joke. And I, I don't I know your list and, and my list personally are both over a thousand movies long. And there are movies that I know I've watched that are on that thousand just because I've forgotten about them. Every once in a while, yeah. I'll see something like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. And it's not in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. All right. So we why don't you start us off, list, Jeff? Banner. Yeah, Banner, you lasted your number 50 movie of all time, which is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one. So the first part was your number 50 movie of all time. My number 50 is a movie that I obviously love. I let off the episode with a quote from it, and that is Fast Five. So I, I believe this is by far the best Fast and Furious movie. Yes, better than the first one. Not even one. close. Not even close. No. From 2011, this is where the entire crew finally gets assembled. This is like the, the Avengers version of Fast and Furious, directed by Justin Lin, the first time we see The Rock. I believe this is the last time that the Fast and Furious was grounded, um, at least to an extent. And this movie is an absolute fucking blast from start to finish and has some serious emotional stakes in it as well between Paul Walker's Brian O'Connor and uh, Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto. I mean, the family element, it's become a joke now, like a meme, and rightfully so. But at this point, it's earned in this movie, and I... You know, I referenced earlier, I think that the top two action set pieces I've ever seen in a movie are The Matrix Reloaded, Palace, and Highway Fight at number one, Extraction 2's Prison Break leading into the train sequence at number two, 
Number three banner is the uh, vault heist from Fast yep. Five. I actually <laughs> thought that was going to be your number one whenever you were talking about extraction earlier. So I was, I'm, I'm actually really happy that Fast Five came up today. Yeah. I just love this movie, man, and it's comfort food to me. And uh, I think I watch it probably about once every year and a half or so. It's it's that good, and that. But uh, it's just it's what made me fall in love with this franchise. And they're basically at the point now where they can do no wrong in my eyes because Fast Five exists. So, and they've that done is wrong. my. <laughs> they have done wrong. Yes, they they're like the boy they're the boyfriend that like comes home late smelling like another girl, and I'm like, you know what? It's fine. He loves me. It's fine. <laughs> So whatever. So Fast Five is my number 50. Uh, Boehner, what is your number 49 just ahead of Deathly Hallows Part 1? Okay. So I need to make a confession. We went through – these are these are fluid lists, guys. Okay? Um, we all know that. Uh, but for this exercise, we kind of had to set in stone our top 100. Uh, now, Jeff, I know a while back you had a movie that cracked your top 100, so you shared that with us and mm-hmm. explained how you bumped everything. Um, I had a similar situation. Actually, no, it's it's completely fucking different. Um, I had a movie that was in my top 100, uh, sitting at 49, that from the beginning, I just I haven't felt right about it. After I, I said this is it, I, I put it in writing, and I decided this is not... This movie does not deserve to be at 49. And the more I thought about it and the more I thought about it, it didn't deserve to be in my top 100. At um, all? At all. We're, we're going to say for argument's sake, I put it at 101. Um, when I was making this movie, I had just rewatched it, so it was very fresh in my mind. And I'm replacing Tommy Boy. Okay. okay. And, and Banner, I think my personal rule, and no one else has to prescribe to this, but I will not move a movie up or down unless I rewatch it. Um, and so I appreciate you saying that you'd rewatched it and then axed yeah. it because, because your memory of a movie, like you got to give it a, you got to see it again. You might be completely right with what you originally thought, but at least give it a poke. You don't have to watch yeah. the whole thing, but throw it and I, yeah, and I, I <clears throat> watched it and it's, it is a great movie. It's a classic. Okay. Um, but within the last two weeks, we had some current events, uh, baby banner, uh, has gone to the stage. She is now doing solos, and her very first solo was Let It Go from Frozen. That automatically made this movie easy replacement into a top 50 because of that moment. Seeing her on stage in front of God and everybody, singing her heart out, not afraid of anything, all the confidence in the world, and it's because of this movie. I hate this movie. I think we... The second one is super confusing, and I like the second one better. I think the music in this movie is overrated, um, but this is such a strong emotional moment in my life and and always will be that this was an extremely easy swap. Um, so I took Tommy Boy out, and I added Frozen, and now I'm just going to shit on it. I, I hate it. I think Elsa is extremely selfish. Um, I think Princess Anna You know how is- I feel about Olaf. Yeah, Olaf is is atrocious. Um, I think Kristoff, he just he could be a cool dude to like get a beer with, but more than one beer, you're you don't want that. Once he starts, it's like, yeah, I share a carrot with a fucking reindeer. You're like, all right, I'm out. Uh, it's just it's just not. I don't like it. I don't think it's a great movie. It made a lot of money, and I appreciate what it did. But for me, it is breaking this list because of what it did for me 
10 years, 15 years after it actually came out uh, and the influence that it had on my daughter. Love that. Again, yeah, and our as top parent, 100 movies. As a parent and based on Baby Banner's um, proclivity to it, you've probably had to watch it way more times than you would care to. I, I am embarrassed by the It's probably playing right now in your house. There's a chance that it is. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> All right. So at 49, <clears throat> Frozen clocks in. And I think it is important to note, we are just probably the, I know that that is like an iconic Pixar film to people. But it's actually Disney a, animated. It's not Pixar. Oh, really? OK. Yeah. I can't tell the difference anymore because they've just, uh, you just can't. completely copied their animation style. But we are of the of the generation to where this was like the we had kind of graduated from these films being like monumental in our lives. I think the last like animated Disney movie that for me, like really, really affected me as a kid was probably like maybe cars, maybe probably more monsters. Inc. I don't even think cars hit me. Yeah. I, I would say, I would, I would say it's closer <laughs> to monsters. Inc. So again, not that we're, you know, we're just not of the age that frozen when it came out was, was a huge fucking deal to us. All right. My number 49, I'm interested to see your thoughts on this movie. If you've seen it, it's the 2018 movie. Starring Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick, called "A Simple Favor." <laughs> I have seen, I have seen half of the third act, and not the second oh. half of the third act. What? Uh, yeah, this was a fun one where uh, I was, uh, uh, my wife was watching it, and I was doing something else and kept walking in and out, in and out, and uh, I was very curious, and I guessed a few things, a few things right, a few things wrong. Oh. Uh, but what I saw of it, I really liked. Yeah, that's a I'm weird mistaken, time to they also, be. They also make out in it, right? They do, and that for some people might even be worth the price of admission. Um, it's it's just sort of a fun, twisty, turny thriller with some comedy elements, and just I think the best performance I've ever seen from Blake Lively. Like I kind of used to laugh at her and be like, "Okay, you're like the gossip girl chick, right?" No, she can fucking act if she wants to, and she does it here. Uh, Henry nice. Goulding is also in it. One of the first things I've seen him in. He's, of course, from Crazy Rich Asians and Snake yeah. Eyes. Um, and it's just a really interesting plot. The premise of it is Blake Lively is a. Uh, she's married to Henry Goulding and Anna Kendrick is a uh, friend of theirs because they both have kids that are of the same age that go to school together. Anna Kendrick is a single mother. Uh, one day, Blake Lively asks Anna Kendrick to watch her child uh, while she goes on a little trip, and Anna, and Blake Lively does not return. <clears throat> so a lot of things ensue after that, and you're basically trying to figure out what happened to Blake Lively. Um, and, like, why did she specifically ask Anna Kendrick that day to watch her child? And things really kind of flip on their head. There's a couple different twists, all of which work for me. And it was just a movie that really stuck with me. Like, there's a lot of movies that make these attempts at, like, putting together, like, kind of a crafty, topsy-turvy narrative while also being funny. And they work to varying degrees sometimes. But this one just really hit with me. And I remember after I watched it, I was like, damn, I was not expecting that movie to be that good. And I've revisited it once since. This is a movie, I'll just say, the best viewing experience, I think, would be uh, to watch it with someone else who hasn't seen it before. Because if someone else has seen it, they're going to be kind of like looking at you at certain parts to like gauge your reaction. And it's just kind of fun to go through the experience of the twists and turns of someone else is going through it at the same time as you. Nice. Don't do what Boehner did where you walk in and out of the third act four, four times. 
yeah, no, it was, I was very confused. Uh, but I was also intrigued enough where uh, there is a chance I'll go and watch it, especially because, actually I will because it's on your top 100, so. Thank you, yeah. It's a very, very fun, interesting movie, and it clocks in at number 49. <clears throat> Love it. All right, that's all I got for today, Banner. Any closing words of wisdom you want to leave our listeners with? Um, yeah, guys, let's just make sure that we uh, make sure we pull over for those emergency vehicles. Okay. Um, not gonna lie, I haven't, I haven't really loved what I've seen lately. Okay. <laughs> that's not good. That's not good. That's not good at all. Um, I don't know uh, when this drops, but. In my neck of the woods, we had some pretty bad storms come through. A lot of power yeah. lines down, a lot of people without a power. And, uh, yep, people are just trying to help other people. And you are the problem why they're not getting help. Um, so let's just, everybody needs to calm the fuck down. And just pull over. You see the lights, you hear the woo, woo. Pull the fuck over. Yeah. Not that hard. Real simple. Not that hard. Uh, I'll end with just reiterating what I said off the top. Um, listen, guys it's okay to discuss a movie that has come out and, and talk spoilers online, but please somewhere in your post, especially if it's the day before the movie has come out, just put spoilers at the top and don't put spoilers for the flash in a black mirror episode six review. Right. That's just fucked up. I, I mean, that's, that's where it belongs. I so. understand that I live in social media areas where like I'm I'm going to be prone to see these things occasionally but I do my best to see a movie the second it comes out if I want to avoid spoilers and if I'm going to a Thursday that it comes out 11 a.m. showing and I have something spoiled for me the Wednesday before by people who got preview screens of the movie that's fucked up and you should lose a press credential I think when you do that yeah I'm not going to disagree there you go I'm talking to you heavy spoilers show which I love your YouTube channel but like what the fuck dude all right, for the Mad Scientist, Brian Banner, I'm the Mayor Jeff Hornacek. We are the Broke Horse Squad Podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. You can find us on Twitter, at Broforce Squad. We're also on Instagram there. If you type in Broforce Squad as three separate words, type in those same three words on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, pretty much anywhere you find the podcast, you'll find us there. And everything that we've ever posted, as well as our squad blog, which I think you might find interesting, is on our website, Bro4Squad.com. Till next time, we'll see you at the movies. And if you're in the bathroom coming out of the movie solo, don't spoil the post credits, please. Yeah, that's just rude. Let's stop. I don't know what if it did, you need to leave that in there. <laughs>